Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Fast Pitch by Fast Pitch Prep. Coach Don and I are here in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio getting ready to record episode number 180. Got a really good show lined up for you today. We're going to talk on our warm-up segment about our city of the week, player of the week, equipment tip of the week, have another good did you know, a fun listener question, and of course, Paige's power play. In our leadoff topic, we are lucky enough to have our good friend Jeff Meekins back to talk about some rule changes for the NCAA and uh, kind of how that's going to change the way we enjoy watching the games come springtime. In our cleanup topic, we're going to talk about uh, the hurricane that just devastated uh, Louisiana and some things that uh, came out of that. Obviously, it's a sad, sad situation, but some positives that we want to use as an example for the softball world. And then our coaching tip of the week, we're going to talk about coaches and their pitching knowledge. So, Don, before we get into that, let's talk about our sponsors. First off, let's talk about the Anderson Bat Company. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to have Anderson Bat Company as our presenting sponsor. Anderson Bat Company is using the latest and greatest bat technology to corner the market in the fast pitch world. They have the minus 9 rocket tech, the minus 10 carbon, and the minus 11 carbon light. Anderson Bat Company is using this technology to put a high-performing bat in the hands of hitters that really know the difference between a good bat and a great bat. We're also working with Anderson to provide a discount for all of our listeners. Go to the Anderson Bat Company website and order your bats. Use the EFP20 discount, which is for everything fast pitch, and you'll get a 20% discount. It's a great way for you to save a little bit of money on a great bat and also help support everything fast pitch at the same time. And let's talk about patreon.com slash everything fast pitch. Coach Don and I are very fortunate. We've really enjoyed doing the 180 episodes that we've done. We are very fortunate to have a strong group of patrons that are helping us, but we would love to add more people to that list. We're asking for either a $5, 10 or $20 a month donation. You go to patreon.com slash everything fast pitch, and it's all going to be explained to you there. If you see value in what we're doing, if there's a benefit to you from being a listener, helping you with your knowledge of the game, uh, your ability to coach it or enjoy it more, um, we would love for you to become a patron if you're in a position where you can do so. There's a lot of expenses and things that have gone into getting us to this point in time. And Coach Don and I are lucky enough that the patrons have kept us going. But if we could add a few more people to that list, it uh, would really be helpful. Uh, we want to keep doing it. We want to keep doing it for free. We want to keep doing more and more good stuff for you. And uh, the more involvement uh, we can get from more patrons, the better off we'll all be. Yep, we need it and we're thankful. Yep. Don? Let's head into our warm-up topics. Our warm-up topics this week, uh, first off, our city of the week is Houston, Texas. Awesome. You know, I didn't realize how big Houston is until the first time I went there on a recruiting trip, and then somebody explained to me that it's the fourth largest city in the entire country, <laughs> and I don't know why it never connected, uh, you know, I mean, it, why I didn't understand that, but then driving through Houston and seeing how huge the city really is, and then, of course, all the surrounding communities. Uh, but it is a softball-crazy area. Um, I've been there uh, many, many times recruiting. Um, had a couple of players from the greater Houston area that I've coached over the years. Really loved going there. It's a fun place to go. A little bit steamy in the summer. Well, they've got good softball weather. But they've got really good softball, yeah. and, uh, and it's a very exciting place to go to, to play uh, to get a chance to recruit. Uh, but that's our city of the week. So our numbers jumped up really, really nicely in the Houston area. Um, as always, we're asking our listeners to ask their friends, to get their friends involved with everything fast pitch and coach prep. If you get them to listen once, we'll take it from there. I'm confident that they will keep coming back because you keep coming back because you know that there's value in what we're doing. 
and you enjoy the uh, opportunity to to learn a little bit more and to to share in, in in our experiences with the game. So please get more of your friends to listen. And Houston, Texas, great job. We really do appreciate uh, um, all of you working so hard to spread the word. Challenge for Houston to get us the player of the week. Player of the week. We got to get one. Okay, so now this is two weeks in a row that we have not had a nomination because Coach Don and I have decided we're going to take a little bit of a hiatus. We're going to not nominate a player of the week just to fill the spot. We want to make sure that our listeners get involved and all of you that are listening know a player who is worthy of this honor. We would love to send them an Everything Fast Pitch and Fast Pitch Prep Player of the Week t-shirt. We would love to recognize them on the podcast for what they're doing, whether it's on the softball field or in the community or in the classroom. And we're going to talk about a little bit uh, later on in the show today about those community kinds of things that we love to recognize. Um, please, if you have a player that has done something noteworthy, all you need to do is contact us at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. Send us the player's name, a little bit of the story of why you want them nominated, why you want them recognized, um, and we would be happy to recognize them. And we had a really good stretch going. We had four or five weeks in a row where we had players from all across the country, and it was fun for me to uh, go to send the T-shirt to someplace other than the greater Atlanta area. Um, you know, the state of Georgia is great. I mean, we got a ton of great softball players, and we could recognize an Atlanta area player every week. Sure. But, you know, obviously we also want to recognize players from all over the country. So Houston, you are on the hot seat. You're the city <laughs> of the week this week. We need you to send us a player of the week for next week. And a listener question and, we'll and, and wrap and it all, all up that in one. Right, yeah. because, you know, if you reach out to us at either of those emails, again, fastpitchprep at gmail.com or everythingfastpitch at gmail.com, we're looking for the Player of the Week nomination, suggestions, ideas, topics, things that you would like us to talk about, suggestions for guests, people that you would like us to try to get on to, to interview. You know, we are lucky enough to have an, an interview again today that, uh, that is very helpful and useful. But we're looking for as much listener involvement as we can get, and that's going to start with the player of the week. So, Don, let's talk about our equipment tip of the week. As always, let's talk about the Square Cuts training disc. Again, Tori, we're having a lot of fun with them. They're uh, durable. They're going to be a product that's going to be a little different than everybody's used before. And uh, everybody that uses them for the first time is really excited about uh, both the the engagement that they have in terms of the feedback and uh, just the uniqueness of it. Right. And... uh, Again, we've, we've often talked about being able to use them for multi-drills, uh, and I've had a lot of younger players that are getting a lot of excitement out of um, using them for overhand throwing. Yep. It gives you really good feedback as to you know where your finger pressure is and the spin that you're creating. Right, on if it. you're really getting that uh, 612 rotation and yeah. all that kind of good well, stuff. Well, t- I mean, it tells on you immediately. Yeah. If you throw off to the side at all, if your you know, fingers are at the 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock, or if it's, uh, you know, even spinning, um, you know, with the flat side of our disc back to you, you know that you're not getting everything out of your mechanics for throwing. Right. And that's, I mean, again, just a little side piece from what we originally created them for. So right. they've been a lot of fun. Yeah, well, we, we came up with them as a hitting tool. Our customers have proven that they are a lot smarter than us, and they've been using them for everything that you can imagine on the field. And we're excited about them. We are really happy to have uh, come up with this idea and developed it and, and to be selling it, looking at the sales reports, and we've got them going to a lot of different parts of the country. So I know our listeners, I'm sure, are the people that are, are uh, making a lot of these purchases, but we want to see them getting out there in the community because what I am noticing is we're getting more and more of, hey, I saw this at uh, one of my daughter's practices and I wanted to get some for myself. 
Uh, my daughter came back from uh, practice and said she hit these new things and she wanted to you know, get some because she really enjoyed it. And so I think the word of mouth is going to spread the more of you that can use them um, and, and get the word out there that we're going to continue to see that growing and growing. And so there's a discount. If you order them, you go to the fastpitchprep.com website. There's an order link right there on the main page. Click on the link and it's going to take you through the steps. They are $49.95 a dozen. And they are very, very durable, as Don said. They're made out of a, a high-impact rubbery material, so it doesn't ha uh, harm your bat in any way, shape, or form. But it has the same weight and diameter of a, of a softball. So when you hit it, you know you're really hitting something. And that was one of those things that we wanted was something that gave a hitter real feedback. You know, if you hit a wiffle ball, you can't really tell much of anything. Sure. If you hit a sock ball, you can't really tell much of anything. You hit a light flight ball, you can tell a little bit, but you can't really tell very much. But you hit something that feels like you're hitting a softball, and you're going to get more realistic feedback. No, it's awesome, Tori. And again, I haven't come across anyone that wasn't excited about them. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, we, we're we're getting really strong uh, feedback from everybody that's getting them, um, and so that's part of why we're so excited and want to continue to spread the word about the Square Cuts training discs. And again, make sure you get use that listener discount. So if you go to that ordering uh, button on the on the website, and it's I Listen Twenty One. So it's I listen and then the numbers two one. Um, put that in, you get a ten percent discount, um, and it's going to be just a way for you to save a little bit of uh, money on getting that initial purchase. But we'll get them boxed up and shipped out to you right away. And uh, again, get your square cuts training discs at fastpitchprep.com. So Don, did you know another D one record that I want us to talk about? The record for no hitters in one season. Okay. And and obviously you know. Uh, at many different times during the history of this game, pitching has been really, really dominant. What I ended up doing with this record today is looking at it from two different perspectives. So the all-time record for the most no-hitters in one season was nine by Michelle Granger in 1993 when she was pitching at Cal. See, That's, I was going to guess Monica. Well, it, it's yeah. one of those crazy things. Now, Monica's on the list all four years of her career, but right, never right. quite got to, to the top of the, to the very top, top of the okay. chart. But so Michelle Granger, who was the first of the overpowering, crazy, hard-throwing left-handers on the original Olympic team, the first real flamethrower that everybody knew about, had nine no-hitters in 1993, but that's white ball. Oh, interesting. So in 2005... So that's an asterisk in my mind. For well, sure. yeah, yeah. It, it is, but it isn't. But so, but, and so in 2005, Alicia Hollowell, Alicia Hollowell at the University of Arizona had eight no-hitters in one season with the yellow ball. Okay. So I'm going to give them both credit for the record because I think the yellow ball has made things a little bit harder on the pitchers. Absolutely. Never try to take anything away from Michelle Granger because I think if you put a yellow ball in her hand, you know, like uh, in the Might Olympics and everything nine. else, she yeah. still was a dominating pitcher. So it's not to take anything away from her, but uh, that one additional no-hitter uh, might have been the fact that uh, a couple of hitters couldn't really tell what the ball was doing when it came out of Michelle's hand because the seams were the same color as the ball. You know what would be really exciting, Tori, is get a viewpoint from one of those type of players, right, right. that played with both. Because I remember the white one not quite having as raised a seam and being a little slicker. Yeah. A little, you know, a little shinier. But they traveled well for hitters. The Well, yeah, if you hit, ever hit it square. <laughs> But the right. other thing with the with the uh, white ball, the old Dudley, um, is throughout the course of the game, it got softer and softer. True. So if you got to the 12th, 13th, 14th inning of a game, chances are it was going to be more likely an error that, that pushed the run across than it was a double in the gap. 
the the yellow ball seems to hold up a little bit better or uh, keep its uh, life a little bit longer. So we wanted to um, foul a couple of those out of the park so we can get a fresh. Yeah, new but one so out. so did you know NCAA records in Division One? Uh, we're gonna do a uh, co record holder. Michelle Granger's nine no hitters is the true record. Alicia Hollowell's eight with the yellow ball is something we wanted to make sure we recognize too. So uh, nice. obviously a couple of amazing pitchers. So Don, our listener question comes to us from Sandy. And Sandy's question is, our daughter's coach wants all the players on her team to practice and play multiple positions. We're talking about a 12 and under team, and we think our daughter should be specializing in only one position. What do you think? Wow, that's kind of an interesting one, Tori. You know, on I think on a couple of our uh, previous podcasts, we talked about, you know, that unique situation when somebody gets hurt and we need people that are familiar with key positions that otherwise might not have any experience there. Yeah. So. 12U, I think that kids are still changing quite a bit. Some are, you know, have some unforeseen potential in in their speed. Some are going to grow taller and maybe be a better first base, you know, target. You know, so I think that they're still evolving and changing. I understand the interest in wanting to specialize because nowadays things are, are moving in that direction, but I don't know if 12 is too soon for that. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think at 12 and under, versatility would have a great amount of value. And Don, I think you hit on the key point. These kids are changing, they're growing, they're maturing, their bodies are changing. That tiny little quick kid who run, runs the ball down really well in the outfield now. Arm strength hasn't been right, necessarily Might end up being somebody who ends up you know, being able to play other positions or, or, or wanting to play other positions. And I think that there is a point in time where players are going to gravitate towards one position more than others. But the very best teams I've always had have always had players that have played positions other than what they thought of as their primary position. Extreme example for me was that 2007 team at Tennessee Tech that had a whole bunch of kids in the starting lineup that all thought they were catchers. Right. And because they spent so much time catching, and we've talked about why catchers have an advantage as as hitters, you know, it made for a bunch of really good hitters that could also play other positions. Some of them had a lot of experience playing other positions coming up through travel ball and high school ball because their their coaches liked the versatility. And some hadn't played many other positions, but were willing to learn to do so because they wanted to stay in the lineup. But I think at 12 and under, 10 and under, 8 and under, I'd be all four kids learning to play multiple positions. Doesn't mean that they don't have a favorite. Doesn't mean that they don't have a primary position. It, it just means that they spend time learning to do all the different things. And because all those different things are going to apply, if your kid's a pitcher, she's great at it, and she's already really established herself as a really good pitcher at 12 and under, there's nothing to be harmed by her fielding ground balls and catching fly balls and throwing to bases and all those skills that go along with playing the game the right way because at certain points in every game, she's not going to just be pitching. She's going to be fielding. She's going to have to field a bunch. She's going to have to back up a play, and maybe a throw you know, gets, gets away from the third baseman, and she's backing it up, and now she's got to be able to throw it home to the catcher to make a play. And if she has had time practicing at shortstop, right. she's probably thrown the ball across the infield a few times, more so than if all she ever does is stand in the circle and throw it to first. Stand sure. in the circle and throw it to first. To me, I think the idea of of versatility is a good one. So, Sandy, I would agree with your coach more so, but the caveat is it's okay for your kid to say, hey, I'm a pitcher, but I want to be able to, and I'm capable of doing other things. It's okay for your kid to say, hey, shortstop's my favorite position, but I also 
feel pretty confident playing in the outfield or playing first base. It's okay to say, hey, I'm a catcher, but to be a catcher who can play first or third or right or left is also a pretty cool thing to be. And I think too, Tori, uh, as they're spending some time and understanding what the role is at these other positions, their softball IQ goes up. They understand where people are supposed to be and how things are supposed to you know, work and um, work together from backup roles to just getting a, an idea of what others on our team are going through at that time right. and how things happen. So I think it's all good. Right. And, yeah. and, the, and the one thing, and, and obviously we don't know Sandy's motivation and why she what feels level, the way she does. Yeah. Um, one thing that I have seen several times now here in the last couple of years that players don't want to or they're uncomfortable with other positions because it demonstrates the things that they're not so good at. You might have a kid who's a really good pitcher, but as soon as you put her in another position, you can see that she's not very quick or she's not very agile or she doesn't have really you know strong overhand throw. And because kids don't want to be exposed for being weak at certain things, they are really hesitant to venture out there and to try to do those things. And so I think a big part of it is helping those kids see it as an opportunity to grow and learn versus uh, you know that it's a an opportunity for them to be embarrassed or to feel bad about themselves. And because the nightmare of all nightmares, and we've all seen this at, at different points in time, that you'll have that kid who's a great pitcher who can barely throw the ball to first base. There was a girl that we played against several years ago that teams that played against her, their whole strategy would be they knew they couldn't put very many hits together. Right. They would bunt the ball purposely right back to her because she had a very difficult time. The, the chances were at least 60-40, she was going to throw it away. Right. And so then you know, she's making a pitch thinking about, oh my God, they're going to bunt it they're to me. They're going to do it again. And then she's trying to figure out, should I run halfway over and flip it underhand? Should I field it and throw it overhand? Should I, you know? <laughs> and it ended up being this train wreck of a situation because her other skills were not in a position where she felt comfortable using them. And now, you know, whether that was one of those, you know, mental yips kinds of things that happened because of, you know, something that has unfolded in her career, you know, you don't know the whole story, but there's nothing more heartbreaking than to see a player be really good at one thing and be really not good at other things. And so I think the idea of versatility is going to help solve some of that. You know, every time a kid gets to play a different position, they gain a little bit of confidence. They, as you said, more understanding, more knowledge. Those are all win-win situations. So, Tori, what do you think about this, too? We're, we're talking about 12U. In two years, they're all going to be going to high school. We get to the high school setting, and four or five of the kids are shortstops on their travel team. Now what? Right. Are you never been at third, never played first base, never played second. Right. And now we're in a situation where all of them want to be the shortstop, and yeah. obviously it's just not going to be. Yeah. Well, or, or the high school or college setting is, you know, let's say you walk in as a freshman, and let's say you're the fifth best player in the, in the program, but you're the third best shortstop. Right. And your position is, I'm a shortstop. Okay. Well, do you want to be the JV shortstop, or do you want to be the varsity second baseman or center fielder? Do you want to be on the bench on the college team, or do you want to be the starting second baseman or right fielder? And you know the team I talked about before, those catchers all wanted to catch. Yeah. But in the grand scheme of things, being the starting right fielder and playing on a really good team that won a conference championship and had some really big fun was a lot better than being the backup catcher. If you end up being the only best shortstop, then that's well, that works. But right, but <laughs> you, you don't know what you don't know yet. Yeah, right. Yeah. And 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 but when you think about it, if you're a freshman 
and you come into a situation where they've got an all-American shortstop, it's nice to think you're better than her, but let's just be realistic. You know, if you're coming into a high school setting... For the and, best team, that might not be... Right, yeah. and, and you come into a high school setting and you've got a three-year starter at shortstop who was all district and all state and all region and all whatever that the coach has 100% faith in because she's proven over a couple of years that she's great at that position. Yeah. You got to be something super extra special to unseat that kid. So let's just open the door to be as, as multi-talented, as multi-skilled as we possibly can be. And, and uh, hopefully uh, that just leads so to the success that we all want to have. Just so it's not uncomfortable when we do slide to another spot. Right. Yeah. So Sandy, thank you very much for the question. Your uh, Everything Fast Pitch t-shirt's in the mail. So that takes us to this week's segment of Paige's Power Play. Hey, Paige here, and I was thinking about this topic today, and I was thinking, what's the point of playing sports if it isn't fun anymore? Way too often, I hear girls and their parents tell me that they aren't even having fun anymore. They don't even know why they're playing anymore. Um, so I wanted to address this topic and have some conversation and discussion about it. And sometimes I think back about my own playing time and playing softball and playing sports, and I wish that I would have had more fun. And don't get me wrong, I had so many memories, so many good memories, fun memories about playing, but I think that I, a lot of times I often go back to those ones where I was frustrated or really hard on myself or negative about the experience that I had. And constantly beating myself up and I would lose sight of the reason that I played in the first place which was fun like when we're little kids we join sports to have fun of course there's lots of things that go into it as, as well which is why sports are so amazing is because it helps grow your character it creates responsibility um, discipline all of these great things that come out of playing sports but Sometimes we lose sight of having fun when things get serious and competitive. It doesn't have to be competitive or fun. Like you don't have to choose between the two. You can be competitive and have fun with it as well. I was just thinking about it and I'm like, playing sports and being athlete, it is all about embracing the failure because it will happen. Failure will happen. It's about knowing that you can move through anything. You can get through anything. And one thing I like to think about is look at all of the things that you've conquered, that you've gotten through. You've moved past mistakes. You've moved through failure already and you are able to conquer anything. You're like the ultimate problem solver, okay? It's about being goofy and creating positive energy with your teammates. It's about giving it all you have, even if you look dumb, like who cares? right? It's about being in the present moment. It's about celebrating the hard work along the way. And it's about those lifelong bonds and memories that you're going to create with your teammates and your coaches and your parents. That's what being an athlete is all about. And when I think about this concept of balancing competitor and also having fun while doing that, I think about the Women's College World Series. And every year it comes on, I watch those girls 
in the dugout and on the field and there are moments of really intense competitiveness like you can see it you can feel it like sometimes they just want to be out there too and then there's also moments where they're having so much fun too and those girls are fierce they're in the zone yet they're dancing around being goofy being silly in the dugout while amping up their teammates and cheering on their teammates and creating that that energy that i was talking about what it's all about and i just think that that is what it's all about and so i am giving you full permission to be a fierce competitor and to always have fun with it too you can have both you can embrace both you can do both that's all. Don, I always enjoy listening to Paige. She's doing a great job for these kids. I hope our listeners are taking advantage of it. Uh, Paige Tons, T-O-N-Z dot com. So that's going to take us to our leadoff topic. Our leadoff topic is sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods. Elite's located at 905 Grayson Highway in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Phone number there is 678-377-0270. You can also contact the folks at Elite Sports Orders at yahoo.com. Anything you need, you can uh, contact the folks at Elite. They'll hook you up. They're happy to ship it anywhere in the country. So, Don, our leadoff topic today, we're uh, very excited to have our good friend Jeff Meekins back to talk about the NCAA rules changes. Yeah, that'll be fun. Hey, Coach, Don and I are super excited this morning to have our friend Jeff Meekins back again. Jeff is our umpire expert, uh, umpire-in-chief, does a lot of uh, assigning and and, uh, working with umpires. And the topic of the day, Jeff, is the uh, new rules uh, the, uh, for the NCAA softball, college softball that are on the horizon. And uh, was uh, hoping to have an opportunity for you to give our listeners some, uh, some information about all the rule changes, especially the ones that are going to be the most impactful that we're going to see the most when we're watching games come next spring. So, Jeff, welcome back. And uh, we're excited to get a chance to hear from you on the uh, new rules. All right. So uh, there's a couple of rules that there's a couple of really big changes that there will be noticeable impact. Uh, the first one is uh, video review. And uh, the, the big thing about video review is that it's allowed in ball games. It's not required, actually, just depending on you know the conference or the schools involved. But they're allowed to use it. They don't have to use it. I guess because of the the uh, equipment differences between different schools and things, the uh, committee felt like that uh, that softball now uh, getting more media attention like it is that they needed to be able to have review and so put it in uh, going forward. There's several things that can be reviewed. Just about the only thing that you might think of that can't be reviewed. There's a question about a home run if the ball is above the uh, height of the foul pole, right. that umpire judgment. Pretty much anything else can be reviewed. Uh, the coaches get two challenges per game, and they have 30 seconds to initiate the challenge. They can do it either by having the umpire-in-chief on site go off, uh, go go to the uh, review and rule on it, or they can have it set up where they have an off-site person review it. They get two challenges per game. You know, it, it works pretty much like the other video reviews. Either the call will be uh, confirmed, or it will be reversed, or if they're not, if there's not enough evidence to overturn it, then the call will stand. Right. Well, I'm I'm curious about the video review. I think part of it uh, it gained so much momentum this year because there were some calls at the uh, College World Series that on replay uh, on the TV replay appeared uh, to be uh, challengeable. 
Um, and obviously they did not have the video replay, right. uh, the, the ability at the College World Series, but they had already had it at like the SEC tournament, and they were obviously using it in the men's tournament. And I think a lot of people kind of got up in arms about the fact that we weren't using it for the Women's College World Series, but they had used it for the SEC softball tournament, and they had used it uh, for college baseball. So I think that that was one of the reasons that, that uh, pushed the agenda forward. Um, I'm curious what you think, uh, how umpires feel about the uh, use of uh, video review. The umpires, for the most part, I think, don't have much of a problem with it. As, as long as, you know, we get the call right, uh, it, it does take a certain amount of, of the arguing between the coaches and the umpires out of the game that way. Right. And they do have the rule, they do have the, the, the addition in there like they do in the, the pro baseball that once the decision is rendered, that no one, it's not arguable by either coach. That would result in an automatic ejection. Well, that's good. Then the only other question I have is obviously the difference between facilities, um, the different ability to have the same quality of camera angles and video to, to, to review. Um, I know when I was coaching at Tennessee Tech, we were very excited. We had a center field camera, tried to keep up with the game you know, for our little local broadcast, but then you get an SEC game where you've got, you know, four, five, six cameras covering all different kinds of angles. And I, I guess uh, that's where the uh, you can but don't have to use it part of that rule comes in, that there might be some conferences or some facilities that just don't have the capability of doing it well, so they might just not do it at all. Yeah, that, would look, that looks like what kind of is going to happen. Uh, like you said, yeah, uh, most of your larger schools are going to have the capability. I uh, some of the smaller schools, I guess, would not. Uh, you see some differences sometimes even on the, you know, the uh, ESPN broadcast, you know, the ESPN3 broadcast. Right. Those are the same issues that you would have with instant replay. Yeah, well, I think it will be interesting. I know uh, um, from a fan perspective, it will add another layer of fun to watching the games when we get to the, you know, to the games that are, are televised. I'm hopeful that uh, it's, it's going to be a good rule change. So uh, we'll... we'll Put that one on the on the list as the number one rule change uh, to to watch for next year. What's uh, what's next on your list for the things uh, thing that uh, fans are going to notice when they're watching the game? This one will get a lot of notice. Uh, they've uh, made some changes to what happens when the ball is hit and the batter is out of the box. Yeah. What they've done is they've they've gone away from the automatic out for that. And now, if if the ball's hit and the batter's foot is out of the box. Now it's going to be a delayed dead ball. You're going to go ahead and, and finish the play, and the defensive coach will get the choice of the result of the play or taking a strike on the batter and returning the runners to the base that they occupied at the time of the pit. Well, I think uh, part of the logic from that is that uh, slapping had become such a high-risk skill for players to use um, because the risk of getting called out was so high that I think a lot of people wanted to do something to kind of let the slapping game be a little bit less risky. Um, if, if you are out of the box, it's, it's not necessarily going to always lead to an out. Yes, yes, that's probably what they were thinking. It's a lot like what they did several years ago when they uh, took away the automatic dead ball out for leaving early. Right. It'll be a delayed dead ball. And if it's a strike three, then it, then it's going to be an out. But if it's not strike three, then it's just going to be a strike on the batter if they don't take the result of the play. Right. Well, I think it's kind of uh, the delayed dead ball part of it adds a twist to it because you could have something unusual happen. Let's say uh, the slapper steps out of the box but hits a line drive, 
you know, that the third baseman catches or the shortstop catches and, and ends up being a double play. Now the defense gets to choose the double play instead of the uh, what would have been you know, really beneficial for the offense in that situation that, you know, the hitter is just out automatically and, the, and nothing else happens after that. So I think it's going to be an interesting thing to see. And there probably will be some times where some strategy might uh, come into play where you have a chance to get an out someplace else on a tag play or something like that and, and let that slapper who was out of the box actually go to first base. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Jeff, also, too, a question on that. Is there going to be a hand signal or something to identify that that has happened and the defense is basically on call to find out what how it plays out? There'll be a delayed ball, a delayed dead ball signal. The left arm will go out with the fist closed, uh, just like they do now with the uh, with the uh, runner leaving early. Yeah, I'm excited to see how that plays out because I was um, really starting to. Uh wonder about whether keeping a slapper on your team was good uh, a logical choice because uh, um, even the highest level slappers I was seeing getting called out quite a bit. The other thought I had is that still going to require then the four umpires or are they going to use four umpires for the College World Series to help with that call or is that something that's going to be again uh, situational on the on the conference and the and the time of the year? You know what would be situational of the conferences uh, but uh, at the at the College World Series, I can't see them going back to three umpires. Right. Um, yeah, I know it seemed so weird to me the first time I saw that fourth umpire out there. <laughs> I was having a hard time wrapping my head around uh, having having that that person out there. Now we've kind of gotten a little bit more used to it. So, all right. So, Jeff, what's next on your list of uh, rule changes that we uh, need to be aware of? There are a couple of uh, different things. There's uh, uh, this was a, a minor one, but. Uh, for, there's a time between innings thing that's changed now. And so they what they've gone to is that there will be a maximum of, of 90 seconds between the innings. And in that 90 seconds, the pitcher will be allowed to throw as many pitches as she wants or is able to. Uh, and there used to be a, a provision in there that there were no more than five pitches and right. only one, one of those could be thrown to first base. And, you know, there were balls on the batter, you know, if you exceeded that and and things. And now it's just, okay, it's a time thing. It's 90 seconds and you throw as many as you want to throw. And that's, uh, it can be lengthened or shortened uh, if both teams agree. A little bit bigger one now is uh, conferences. They've, they've made changes to coach-player conferences and to player-player conferences. So for... A seven-inning game, each team's going to have seven coach-to-player conferences. And this is offensive and defensive. Oh, okay. No more than one per half inning. You get an additional defensive conference for each pitching change if that pitcher hasn't pitched in the half inning, but it still counts toward your set. It counts as one of your seven allowable. Gotcha. That might be tough for some coaches. <laughs> yeah, no, there there are some that uh, have have a conference with every hitter if they get away with it. So, is that a uh, time uh, speed of the play or a, a speed of the game decision? Yeah. You think? Yes, that's the consideration for that. Gotcha. So the ninety seconds and the uh, limited conferences trying to, I guess, cut down on the dead time a little bit more. And 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 obviously, I think we're all f- fans of that. The only time that I think I notice it going the other way is when we have the TV games. If you're at a TV game, that in-between inning time seems to Last be forever. forever. 
yeah. compared to normal. When you're not on TV, sometimes it seems like that time you know t- t- takes extra time anyhow. It's like you're waiting forever for the game to get started again, and then all of a sudden you add in the uh, TV producer, whoever it is, standing down the foul line with warning sign out that they can't start playing again yet because the, the commercials haven't ended. <laughs> so um, is there anything else big on the horizon, Jeff? Uh, that's most of what they've done that's really going to be noticed. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. So, and now I did have one rule that's not a new rule that I wanted us to get into just a little bit. Uh, Coach Don and I are always getting questions about the look back rule, I guess, from, a, uh, from both perspectives, from the offense and the defensive side of it. And if you can kind of just give us some of the highlights of that, I think what's happening is we're seeing runners that aren't quite sure what it means to start or stop or to go and, and come back and then start again, and certainly uh, you know some confusion on how that rule is supposed to be interpreted. There's some confusion. I, I noticed this when I was, was working. There's a difference between the NCAA rule and the age group rules, like for USA Softball right. and U-Triple-S-A. Uh, the NCAA rule allows you to cross first base and then they allowed you to walk back toward first base and still have the option to break for second base as long as you hadn't stepped on first base. And, you know, people see that in college games. And, you know, then they, they didn't understand why they were being called out for it when they played in a Junior Olympic game. The basics of the rule are that for the rule to be in, fe- in effect, the pitcher's got to have the ball. She's got to have both feet in the circle. Once the pitcher has the ball in the circle and the uh, the runner has had a chance to identify that the ball is in the circle, she has a chance to make a choice, okay? She can go back to first base or she can, you know, break for second base. So the problem comes in when you start to change direction, okay? If you break for second base and then you go back toward first base, then that's a problem. Or if you just stand there. Right, and that's the one I see all the time is the, the base runner just stands there almost like, like deer in the headlights. What are you going to do next? Right. Yeah. You, you try to allow a reasonable amount of time for them to have identified what's going on and make a choice, okay? But if they just stand out there, kind of think, you know, one beat, two beats, and now you're thinking, okay, we haven't, we've had our chance to make a choice, and now we're going to be called out because we haven't done anything. So often, too, what happens behind them, so the pitcher turns and, and looks to the runner at first base. We've got a runner on third base behind them, and that runner on third base starts you know, easing off the bag, trying to get prepared to go towards home. If the pitcher hasn't broken their hands and engaged in any type of rundown, at that point, does that runner at third have to continue to home, or will she be called out? Yeah, once the base runners reach first base, yeah, the look back rule applies for both runners. Now, the problem that comes in on a play like that is, you know, what constitutes the pitcher making a play? And basically, anything the pitcher does besides just kind of stand there and hold the ball. Ball stays in the glove. A bluff, you know, then the look back rule is off. Right. But if the ball stays in her glove, then then they have to make a choice if they've made a movement towards uh, advancing a base. Correct. Right, because I think Don's hitting on the the one where this uh, keeps getting teams in trouble. That runner from first to second is just kind slowly of the, running, the maybe walking, maybe just kind of doing something to try to distract the pitcher, make the pitcher engage, and then the runner from third wanders off and just stands there. And so the runner on third is the one that's getting called out because she's you know been off the bag for two, three, four seconds and hasn't gone anywhere, hasn't made a move. Because she's waiting to see if the pitcher makes a play. And the pitcher has not engaged. And the pitcher hasn't done anything. And so I think that's the, the thing for our listeners to be paying attention to, 
that, and, and Jeff, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but both runners need to be going one way or the other. They can't just be standing there. They can't be changing in the direction. They can't be dancing around. The pitcher's got the ball in the circle, and she's not making a play, not doing anything that looks like she's making a play. Those runners have to be going in one direction or the other, and they have to keep going. And any movement back towards the, the previous base would constitute an out. Yeah, once they once they choose a direction, they have to go in that direction. And if they're if the if the runner at third was standing on the base when the when the the runner at first you know left, you know the runner at first could could she could be walking towards second base. But if that runner at third was on the was on the bag when that happened, she would stay on third, or she would need to break straight toward home. Right. And that, that's where... That's, that's the one where that's the, getting, everybody's getting in trouble because that runner on third wants to just stand out there five feet, ten feet off the bag. And or dance. Yeah, and, and, and dink around a little bit trying to confuse things. And so, uh, but I appreciate you taking some time to explain that one because I know uh, I've been involved in three or four games this year where the look back rule has been called. Fortunately for us, our team's been on the right side of it because I think we knew the rule pretty well. But then we'd have to listen to the other coach argue for 10 or 15 minutes about how the umpire was wrong and they didn't know what they were doing and that that runner could do it. You know, and so, so anything we can do to clear things up so we can get a little bit less arguing, a little bit more softball getting played is a good thing. So, Well, Jeff, we really do appreciate your time coming on to uh, help us understand the new changes in the NCAA rules. Um, what I would love for us to do is once the games start getting on TV and we see how some of this stuff is impacting the game, we'll get you back on kind of do a, a debrief on if we think we've made a, a step in the right direction and, and how exactly all this stuff is working. Nice. All right, Jeff, thank you very much. We do appreciate your time, and uh, hopefully that will be helpful and beneficial for our listeners. Thank you, guys. Have a good Labor Day weekend. You too. Uh, stay cool out at the ballpark. <laughs> very good. See you, Jeff. Bye, Jeff. Don, aren't you glad we had a chance to listen to the uh, explanation about the look-back rule? Because I know both you and I have had people asking us about it because they want to believe that they know it, but I don't think they necessarily did. No, I know that's exciting for sure. Um, again, that's one of those things that it's nice for us to be kind of uh, on top of or clear before we get in the heat of battle because it does make it challenging to try and figure it out in the middle of a game, right? Right. And and you just also want to make sure that the players are informed because if that player at third really thinks it's okay for her to be standing there because you know she, she doesn't know the rule... And, and that kills a rally, kills an inning, maybe keeps your team from winning a game, that's a pretty embarrassing thing to have happen. So let's make sure we're all aware. No, if you take the time and practice to walk through it and let everybody have an under, just go through it slow-mo, yep. I think uh, you know the kids will kind of figure that out. And, and it's important for them to understand what we're wanting them to do if we are trying to create uh, you know, chaos on the defensive side. Right. Yeah. And yeah. also too, on the defensive side, we need to know what the strategy is going to be as well. Right. And so I think it's just, uh, it's great for us to have Jeff's uh, knowledge and expertise. I'm curious to see how those rules are going to impact the college game. I think it's going to be an interesting season when the spring season gets here. So Don, that's going to bring us to our cleanup topic. Our cleanup topic this week, we wanted to talk about something, the really terrible situation we had uh, just currently with Hurricane Ida and right. the, the damage and devastation that um, the state of Louisiana suffered because of it. But something I saw on social media that kind of brought a smile to my face and made me appreciate how many really good people are involved in our game and how many great people are really involved in the game of fast pitch softball is seeing videos of LSU softball players helping clean up storm ravaged, de devastated areas, you know, helping with the cleanup, you know, getting in there with their uh, boots and gloves and, and digging in and, and helping clean up. And it just kind of makes me uh, proud of our sport to see a team like that getting involved. And I'm sure 
that there were many other groups and many other softball people that were contributing. Obviously, LSU is a high-level program that everybody knows about. But to kind of encourage our listeners, our coaches, our players to look for opportunities similar to this. Hopefully, really bad things don't happen in your neighborhood. Hopefully, really bad things don't happen to people that you know. But there's plenty of places out there in the world for all of us to get involved and contribute a little bit. No, I think that is exciting. And, you know, a lot of times I think we get wrapped up in in our own little world, in our own little bubble. And uh, when we do take time to look outside and, and find where we can have a good positive impact with people in the community, obviously with the storm, that was amazingly difficult time for everybody there. So to pitch in and help out there is, is wonderful for sure. But, uh, you know, whether it's uh, special needs kids, you know, like the Special Olympic type things, yeah. I've, I've had groups that have done some of those things. And it's really beneficial for our kids to to see the challenges other other people have and to be a part of making a special day for them is really neat too. Yeah, well, I think uh, one of the things that I've seen over the years is that some of the most meaningful and memorable things that have happened for teams that I've coached have been involved in this kind of area of community service, getting involved. When I was coaching at Tennessee Tech, we always were involved in the Habitat for Humanity, and we would always do uh, a couple of work days a year for the team. And to see players that outside their comfort zone carrying a sheet of plywood or up on a roof nailing in shingles or you know raking out the the yard so that the sod can be laid painting all those kinds of things that really are outside all their comfort zones none of them have any real experience doing that's it that's real work yeah but it's yeah. also because they know what it means you know um, every situation that the, that I was ever in and I'm sure that the habitat people coordinated uh, try to coordinate it when you have a large group come out we always got to meet the potential homeowner, the person whose life was being changed by the kindness and contributions Efforts, of others. Yeah. And that was always very, very meaningful. You know, we had one year where uh, we were uh, putting the roof on a house. It was one of those gray, crummy days at the beginning. You know, we loaded everybody up in the minibus and drove out to the work site. You know, and uh, some of the kids, you know, brought their little raincoats and stuff just in case. Some didn't because, you know, nobody expected, you know, no, nobody knew for sure what would happen. Sure. We hadn't been up on the roof maybe five minutes and it started raining. And it was hard enough that we could have stopped and nobody would have thought anything about it. And the thing that was most inspiring to me is a couple of the kids on the team like, no, we're going to get this done. We got to get this roof on here. It's raining out here. Right. Instead of like, oh, my gosh, we're going to melt or, oh, my gosh, and we have to stop. <laughs> You know, they had bought into it enough and, and were fired up enough, you know, that, you know, even though, you know, they were getting wet and they were a little bit uncomfortable and, you know, some of them, you know, I'm sure, you know, were happy that we didn't have Instagram po- photos back then to, you know, to, to post. They made up their minds to stick it out. And we stayed out there in a, you know, a couple of times, you know, throughout the course of that day. It came down hard enough that it would have been, you know, easy to stop, but they wanted to get it done. They kept right on grinding away at it and we got it done. And so that was very meaningful. The other thing um, that we took on when I was at Tennessee Tech was what's called Operation Christmas Child, which is basically a program um, that is kids from the United States put together shoebox gifts, and they send them to all different, you know, really poor parts of the parts of the world. For our players, when they found out, you know, ki- kids that were used to video games and having their own car and a smartphone and you know all this stuff to find out that they could change somebody's life by sending them a toothbrush. Right. You know, or a box of crayons or a pad of paper or, you know, something like that. 
you know, again, that organization always, you know, would have, you know, little testimonials and things that would come back to us, you know, thanking, you know, for the contributions. The one that always sticks with me with that project is all of a sudden we would have kids that first time they did it, I don't think they really knew what to expect to four or five years later, they were fundraising money and pooling the money themselves and going shopping together to figure out how they could go to Sam's Club or someplace like that get to, more. to get more for yep. their money so they could do more shoebox gifts. You know, in the first year we did it, I think everybody showed up with a box. The second year we did it, some kids did two. By the fifth year we did it, and I think we probably had 10 boxes per kid for the team because they had gotten so into it. And, and every box is wrapped. Every box is decorated. Everyone's got you know, a little personal handwritten note in it. All that stuff just tells me about how much value there is for the kids to be involved in it. So you know, whether it's a high school team, travel ball team, rec league team, and honestly, for 99.9% of the people who listen to our podcast, we're all better off than somebody we know. Sure. You know, the idea of finding a way to get involved with, you know, some sort of community organization, some sort of uh, project, or even just, you know, the simplest, nicest thing of, you know, you, you, you see a homeless person and you give them a, a sandwich from the convenience store or whatever it is, you know, just something nice um, is, is a beautiful thing. And, and seeing LSU softball digging in to help their community was something that I really enjoyed seeing. That is awesome. And a lot of times too, practices and games kind of all run together. But that one special day when we do something as a group, I think is really exciting and that brings everybody together in a different way. Right. And it's, it's very memorable for everyone. And when I, I think if, if we had four or five of those players from the team that roofed in the rain, and, and that was a very successful team. We won a couple of the conference championships. We made it to the NCAA tournament a couple of years. If you ask them what their greatest memory was from playing at Tennessee Tech, I think for all of them, give them a the, top five. It's in or, the top five. Yeah. You know that that day that they put the roof on in the rain is going to be in the top five, just as much as you know beating Alabama on Friday night in the regional. Right. That's awesome. You know, I mean, so when you think of it that way, it adds so much more meaning to it, and hopefully, it motivates our listeners and our our people that are involved with teams. Find ways in your community to help. You know, and, and hopefully, it's not the response to something terrible. You know, we don't want it to always have to be right. if we can do something proactive once in a while, too. If you're lucky enough that you don't live in a flood zone, you know, be thankful, but find some someplace else in your community that you can help out. And I think we'll all be a lot better off for it. That's a good message right there. I love it. All right. So, Don, our coaching tip of the week. This is another one of those things that it's time for us to fix. Coaches, if you are coaching a team, you have to know enough about pitching to help your pitchers on game day. That doesn't mean that you have to know all the ins and outs of how to throw every pitch. Honestly, it doesn't mean that you even really need to know a whole lot about pitching. But I watched a game the other day, and again, this is middle school softball, so you know, I understand that it's you know a bunch of kids that are playing, you know, a couple of really good kids, a couple of average kids, a couple of kids that probably are just learning how to play. But I watched a pitcher walk at least twenty hitters, and not one. Time out, not one suggestion, not one tip, not one anything from anybody in that dugout to try to help this poor kid do better. And to me, I would have rather sat there and listened to a coach or watched a coach go out there and know that the coach is saying the wrong thing (laughs) than to see a coach do nothing. And this is where I know this comes from because you and I both hear this all the time. 
well, I don't really know anything about pitching, so I got to find somebody to do the pitching. Right. Well, if that's somebody who's going to be there to do the pitching isn't going to be there for every single practice and game, we have a big problem because the stuff's going to go wrong when it's going to go wrong. And you can't predict whether it's going to be the day that your pitching coach is there or not. The idea that you're sharing with everybody, Tori, is important because pitching is a big part of our game. Yeah, if, you, it, if you've got pitching, you you got it going on. Yeah. And, and if you don't have pitching, you don't have a game. I, I should not really say I went to watch a softball game because I didn't see a softball game. It wasn't a game. No, because I, I watched catcher chasing the ball to the backstop. I watched kids running around the bases. And that was 75% of the time I was there. And it got to the point that the only way that there were outs being made was the other team was stepping off the base so that their kids could actually go on defense. Make it happen. Yeah, yeah. If they had not been stepping off to get outs for the other team, I don't think the other team would have ever hit. Right. I think that poor girl you know, would have stayed out there till the time limit came or it got dark or whatever happened first. I cannot imagine she would have That's... ever gotten three outs because she really was not able to throw three strikes before she was going to throw four balls to every hitter. That's tough for sure. And again, I understand that, you know, entry level, beginning, you know, maybe it's a kid who hasn't done much training in pitching or whatever, but for the coaches to sit in the dugout the entire time that this is going on and be unable to offer any kind of guidance, suggestions, encouragement, was very disheartening. Um, and, and so this whole, I don't know much about pitching, so I'm, you know, I don't want to mess them up because I don't know enough about pitching, we've got to correct that. So back to the moral of the story. Does that mean that you have to be an expert on it? No. But if the ball goes high every time, you need to be able to go out there and say, you're, you're, you're hanging on to it a little bit too long. Your release is a little bit too late. You need to try letting go of it a little bit earlier. Sure. If every single pitch is bouncing 25 feet in front of home plate, you need to be able to recognize, wow, you're letting go of it way too early. You need to hang on to it a little bit longer and change your release point a little bit. If she's stepping towards first base, basically, when she comes off the mound and throwing it you know, behind the batter, you know, in the batter's box, you know, there's nothing wrong with being able to say, hey, you know, let's work on that stride a little bit. You know, see if you can stride more towards the catcher. See if we can't help a little bit. I like exactly what you're saying. And and even if we're at a, a higher level, Tori, for us to be familiar with the terminology, if we've got somebody that is throwing really, really well, but is having a tough day, for you to be able to go out there and, and say, hey, we need to shorten up. Like you said, we need to shorten up a little bit so we can get the ball down. Or we need to make sure our arm circle's full or whatever yeah. it might be. And each of the pitchers have maybe a different pitching coach and they might have some different click words. Right. that help get them back on track. And that, it could be as simple as that. You know, keep your posture a little bit more laid back on your high stuff on a rise ball. Whatever it might be, that little click word might be all they need that day just to get back in the groove and, and to finish up strong for that for that day. But we have to be familiar with it. Right. So to spend a few minutes with their pitching coach to ask or be inquisitive with that pitcher, right. you know, what kind of terminology do you and your coaches use? Because you might not even have complete knowledge of all of it. But if you just throw that little little bit out there, you know, when they are having challenging times, I think it can be a big difference maker. Right. You know, perfect example. I was lucky enough at the end of my career, you know, when I was at uh, KSU, I had Kat Fritz was my pitching coach. And I think she did an amazing job. Kat's great. Yeah. And, and you know, she did a couple of YouTube videos for us on the YouTube channel. I would still go down there, you know, once or twice you know, a week, every week, and sit in when she was doing bullpens. So I could hear the discussion, so I could hear the terminology, so I would know what was being said, so that if something happened 
and I needed to be able to give a cue or or give a tip or or you know just some advice or whatever it might be to be on the same page. So if you're a travel ball coach or a high school coach or a middle school coach and your kids are all going to somebody else for lessons, you might not be in a position where you can go and listen to a lesson, but you can always pick up the phone and say, hey, you know, you know, Sally's on my team, you know, and it seems like she struggles with her control. Is there anything you would suggest I say, or what are some things I can be watching for? There's things that are typical for her. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think every pitching coach in America, because they all want their kids to do well, would be more than happy to say, well, every once in a while she slows down her tempo and then her timing gets off. Yeah. So then all you she might need to right. she, all, all you yeah. might need to be able to do is go out there on you know after the first two or three pitches and say, you know, Sally, it looks like you're slowing down a little bit today. You know, your coach remind, wanted me to remind you, you know, to keep your tempo up, make sure you're driving off the mount. Yeah. And that might be all it takes and when we're back on on easy street. Now, the the softball event that I watched the other day that was supposed to be a game, I, I don't know an, anything at all about that team situation. So I you know, I don't know enough to say whether that player is an experienced pitcher and just had a terrible day or a very inexperienced pitcher who's just learning how. Because obviously at the middle school level, there are some schools that, that you'll see that have nothing but travel ball kids that are really high-level players. And you'll have other situations just where it's nothing but, yeah. but kids that they basically corralled in the hallway and said, hey, you're coming out for the <laughs> softball team, even though that, you know, that kid didn't even own a glove. The reason I wanted us to talk about this, because I think this is becoming kind of an epidemic in our game, where we have so many pitching experts that we are relying on them so completely, but they're not the, able to be there all the time. You know, Last week, we talked about uh, overcoaching hitters and how that's such a pet peeve of mine. And the same thing holds true. The only person who's going to be there every time a kid hits is the kid. The only person who's going to be there every time the kid pitches is the kid. Sometimes in that setting, they panic and they forget right. about those little And And that's where pieces, if yeah. you have enough knowledge to help that kid just a little bit, you know, not every 12-year-old player is going to be mature enough to be able to go through the checklist and say, wow, I stink today. What am I doing wrong? But if you as the coach, even though you aren't their pitching coach, can say, remember, you know, Coach Mary said, you know, you got to keep your tempo up. That might be all it takes. You know, Coach Mary said, you know, to make sure you snap your wrist or you, you know, you lengthen your stride or whatever it is that is that kid and that pitcher's a typical you know, thing. You know, you need to fire your forearm more. Whatever the the key word is that that player is used to hearing, and all of a sudden we can solve some big problems. And so, coaches, stop using the "I don't know anything about pitching, so I have to get somebody to do it for me" answer. Stop using the "I'm afraid I'm going to mess her up" because I don't know enough about pitching. Get in excuse, the mix a little, and yeah. get in the mix a little bit. Because if we don't, we're going to continue to have to go to the ballpark and watch kids really struggle and be out there almost like they're solo because the uh, the people that should be offering them some help are not in a position necessarily to do it. That's pretty good stuff. I like it. All right, Don. Anything else for 180? No, just looking forward to another great week, Tori. All right, so please make sure you check out our sponsors, Anderson Bat. Remember, EFP20, you can save yourself some money and help us at the same time. Make sure you check out Elite Sporting Goods, patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch and fastpitchprep.com, the YouTube channel, the blogs. Make sure you read Softball is Haunted. It's an, uh, it's it's gonna It better be on Facebook pretty soon because it's one of the best ones ever. Order your Square Cuts training discs there. So for Coach Don McKinley, our producer, Stan Lewis, this is Coach Tori saying thanks for listening to episode number 180. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you.